0: I feel there's a certain discrimination against the non-drinkers, people who do not consume alcoholic drinks. Just like there is this thing about vegetarians by the non-vegetarians now. You go to a bar or a restaurant, say in a group which has both categories of people, you'll most often not find anything except a fresh lime soda or a mojito on the menu, along with a long list of alcoholic drinks in all flavors, all colors possible. And the non-drinkers are left with no option but to sip on their boring lime juices. I can now really understand the plight of someone who does not drink. Since uh, it's been a year and a half that I have left drinking myself and joined the non-drinking club. But I guess for today, while mastering all kinds of liquor and poisons in the world that people like to drink, understood this uh, difference between the drinkers and the non-drinkers, I guess. And decided to experiment and make the non-alcoholic drinks fun and enjoyable for people as well as kids who reached her. I think that's really a remarkable thing that she's done. We have Shadbi Basu with us, India's best and most favorite bartender. She's also an author and has recently released a book. uh, It goes by the name The Can't Go Wrong of Mocktails, which is by far the most comprehensive collection of non-alcoholic drinks ever, I guess. And includes a brilliant hot section as well. I've been really enjoying the book since almost a month now and I've almost tried numerous drinks on the list. I must tell you that it is a must-have this summer and uh, you should pick up the book. So let's hear more about the journey of bartending uh, from Shadhi herself and everything around how she picked it up. Well, before we welcome Shadhi ma'am to the show, I want to talk about a podcast by Rashmi Shetty. The podcast is called You and I with Rashmi Shetty. It's a podcast featuring ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Those who have moved beyond themselves to find out how they can make a difference to the world around them, conversations that reaffirm that the world is a far more beautiful place when you acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Hello Shadi ma'am, welcome to Secrets of Storytellers. Uh, How are you?
1: Thank you so much for having me here with you, Shivam. It's, um, it's very exciting to talk about, uh, especially what you said about non-alcoholic drinks. Um, every All my colleagues and friends were extremely surprised when they found that the book that I wrote was on non-alcoholic drinks. And they all had the same question that you have. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> but I enjoyed the journey so completely. <laughs> I think it was the most uh, fun thing that I did. That also in the middle of the pandemic. It was good fun.
0: Lovely. What are you making today? Is it a new drink every day? And how is it?
1: Um, I go through phases. So there are phases that I go through where I'm thinking. And I come up with new drinks. And there are other phases where I go through where I'm not thinking of beverages at all. So yeah, it's a very phasey thing. Uh, when i put my mind and i decide okay this is my focus then 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 at a stretch i will be you know focused and only be thinking of the subject at hand that's it but i can switch off quite easily
0: does it go by the moods does it have anything to do with moods have you have you found some weird connection between moods and the kind of drinks that you choose
1: absolutely 100% yeah there is a huge connection there is always a connection I think mood is something that defines us as people, you know, it connects everything that we do, whether it's, uh, whether it's what we eat, what we drink, what we read, or sometimes do absolutely nothing at all, you know, you get into the mood where all you want to do is look out of the window and do nothing, or (laughs) lock yourself up in your room, put on Netflix or Prime Video, and then just kind of watch back-to-back the whole day. I don't know if you've done it, but I do it very often.
2: I have, I have. I get into that <laughs> zone
1: and I just watch non-stop. I can watch three, four movies back-to-back or, or watch
0: Oh wow! <laughs>
1: three, four, ten seasons of something at one go.
0: Oh, nice. That's so nice to hear from someone uh, we don't think could do that, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I can do this.
0: Very easily. <laughs> You're right. Shadim, I must tell you, this episode is really very special for us for multiple reasons. Okay. One that uh, the podcast has been very business heavy, and uh, we have had people from all uh, different cross sections of uh, business, corporate world, everyone who knows everything about everything.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: That's one reason that we are doing it very different. And the other thing is that uh, it's going to be our 50th episode uh, on the podcast. So that's really a milestone for us.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so lucky to be part of that. Wow. Your 50th (laughs) and so radically different from everything else.
0: And it's just by coincidence. You know, it's it's not planned. It was never planned this way.
1: Super good. Yeah, super good. This is truly, truly exciting.
0: (laughs) It is. It is. It is really exciting for us as well.
1: Awesome, awesome. But congratulations, 50 episodes.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. So uh, what, what we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into, you know, how uh, the entire thing of bartending came up, how you got into this profession and how was the journey for you. Right. So I'm going to start with uh, your IHM days. You are an alumnus of the, the Institute of Hotel Management Mumbai, class of 1980, if I'm not wrong. I hope you don't mind me mentioning the year.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: So tell us more about it, uh, how you got there. Uh, was it something that you always wanted to do? Uh, how How was it?
1: Um, no, actually, it was not something I always wanted to do. In fact, uh, I don't think it was anywhere on my horizon at all. Um, what I actually wanted to be was be a veterinary surgeon. And therefore, all... Through school and college, that was the only thing that was my aim. Uh, I did not even have a plan B. I only had plan A and that was to be a vet. (laughs) And so my focus entirely was on that. Um, I even kind of plodded through mathematics, which I hated. uh, Because I knew that without that, I can't get through science. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, that was it. And uh, I actually got into vet college, Bombay as well. And uh, then m- my family doctor actually punctured everything with one little talk with my parents and said, "What? You let her go into wet college? Don't you know she has so many allergies? <laughs> and uh, certainly not the place to put her."
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that was kind of like a bummer for me. And uh, suddenly I was at uh, you know a situation where I was clueless. And, you know, I tried to fight it saying that I'm sure there are medicines and I'm sure more will develop. And he said, right now, there is nothing for allergies uh, except, um, I think there were only cortisones at that time. And he said, that will only make you put on weight and in the long run, no good for you. And I said, I'm sure something else will come up. But he said, nothing doing. You cannot do this. And... uh, Kind of, that was the end.
0: So that's that's very interesting. From a vet to bartending. How, how did that start?
1: So, so then what happened is that it was my mom, mom and my aunt, because they looked at me and I said, I don't know, I have never planned anything else. And now suddenly you kind of spring it on me and say, I'm sorry, you can't do this. What does that even mean? And then they were the ones who, who suggested and said, well, you are at least slightly interested in the kitchen. Because at least you help us around. So maybe that might be a good thing for you. And obviously, I didn't agree with it. Uh, And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) And that's how I went to IHM Mumbai. I I applied there and I said, let's see if I get admission. And I did. And I spent the first six months truly not knowing why I was there. But I think, you know, slowly I kind of got interested in the subjects that there were. And, um, yeah, by the end of the first year, I had decided that I wanted to be a chef. And I spent the next two years of college wanting to be a chef. Okay. So, yes, I practiced and I trained and I wanted to be a specialty chef in the Chinese kitchen. So I trained for that while I was still in college, working with Chinese kitchens and making friends with, Chinese managers, Chinese chefs, just so that I could get an in into the kitchen and learn.
0: (laughs) Lovely, yeah.
1: Finally, I got a job as a trainee chef at the Centaur Hotel, Bombay, where uh, they promised me that if I worked for six months in the main kitchen, they would transfer me to the Chinese kitchen. But obviously that didn't happen. Oh, okay. At the end of nine months, I asked that question saying, you said six months, it's nine months. Are you going to transfer me to the Chinese kitchen? I've already lost so much time. And they said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, it'll happen. But you'll need to give us some more time. I figured that that some more time meant that it was not going to happen. At least not for a long time.
0: never happened. Yeah. yeah,
1: so I thought, okay, this is it. I've wasted too much time. I need to quit. I was patient, but I didn't have endless patience. So I just quit and um, I actually went and spoke to another senior of mine who was the manager of a Chinese restaurant and I asked him whether he would give me a job. He says, I can't give you a job in the kitchen, but I can most certainly give you a job in the restaurant Um, and then, you know, maybe you can make friends with the chef and uh, I don't know, I can't promise you, but um, if he does, great, if he doesn't, you still have a job with me in the restaurant. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I joined that restaurant. And um, I started working in the restaurant. Uh, The chef, of course, had no time for me at all. He just told me to stay away from the kitchen. (laughs) And uh, he just didn't want me around. And uh, so I started working in the restaurant. And uh, he kind of, you know, pushed the bar upon me, saying, that's your area as well. You're in charge of the bar as well. And... um, the the drinks will be picked up by the boys directly. But uh, if, it, if there are any cocktail orders, you have to go and make them. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never made a cocktail. I only know everything theoretically, but I've never done this. So what am I going to do? And, um, you know, he said, well, figure it out. So um, I figured it out uh, after the first day of being completely shell-shocked.
0: I think quite well at that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I actually pulled out a book that surprisingly my mom and my aunt had given me when I was in college, which I didn't really pay much attention to. I mean, I I remember thanking them, but I didn't look at it very seriously because at that time, my focus was the kitchen. So I was only reading stuff that was relevant to me. So I pulled out that book and uh, I kind of, you know, read it word for word, page by page from beginning to end. And I realized that, uh, you know, there was some serious stuff there. It's very hard work. Because...
0: I I could never think that making cocktails could also be so nice uh, when you read about it. And, you know, it could also...
1: Absolutely.
0: Be very enriching if you are academically strong at it.
1: You have to be. You have to be. Because that's when I realized that all the studying I did with physics and chemistry was not going to go in vain. Because all of that, that I studied about cocktails and mixology stemmed from either chemistry or physics and a little bit of botany was added to it as well. And therefore it became much easier for me to understand because I understood the basics of chemistry and physics very well. And therefore the actual techniques of mixing became really easy for me to understand. And not only was it easy for me to understand, but I was able to apply the science correctly. So the first most important thing for me was I realized that I needed to upgrade myself on the basic spirits themselves. And that's huge because they have history and it's connected to culture, to people, to countries, to their vegetation, to their geography. Then the skills of uh, distilling and fermenting and that was like massive. I mean, we had done quite a lot of basic studies when we were in college, but we never really applied it. You know, we kind of knew it in bits and pieces, but there was no flow and it wasn't joined to tell us why. So we knew that there was something called the distillation process. We understood that there was fermentation, but we didn't understand the complete cycle from grain or fruit, how fermentation worked, what fermentation did to that liquid, what was a result of fermentation on the flavor, how did then that distill carry forward all the flavors, both of the fruit or the grain itself, as well as the ancillary flavors, which were a result of the fermentation, and therefore then, how did distillation pick up? what it picked up, what it didn't, and what was the end result going to be like. And from there, how it then, some spirits went on to kind of be put into um, oak casks and were allowed to change and evolve along with time, how the cask played a role, how the weather around the class cask played a role, how the skill of the blender and the distiller played a role, it was crazy. I mean, there was so much learning that I suddenly found myself, you know, like I was right at the beginning all over again. And so it was a crazy, interesting journey. It was a fantastic journey of learning.
0: Well, here's a quick song for all of you before we go ahead in the episode. This is Kun Fire Kun, as performed at the Berkeley School of Music by the Indian and, uh, in fact, uh, people from across the world, the students out there. And it's a beautiful song and they've performed it just wonderfully. In fact, there are a lot of other songs that they've performed on the same day. I really recommend you to listen if you have not. In case you do not wish to listen to the music or the song and jump to the episode again, you can click on the 30-second forward button about five times. That's about two and a half minutes and go to the episode again till then enjoy I was saying very interesting to see that uh, something which is uh, always thought of as an art is so much of a science. And uh, on the podcast, I've also seen, <laughs> you know, everything which we thought is an art could also be a lot of science.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that whole learning process for me on understanding the spirits themselves, because without understanding them, I felt that the science of mixing would be kind of shortchanged. Because it's only when you learn to respect spirits for what they are, for where they come from, why they are the way they are, you understand what to use and what not to use, and then how to use it in a way that still respects its heritage, its culture, and doesn't kind of walk all over it in trying to create a new um, drink in a glass. So, So, you know, it's that whole learning process. And then of course the understanding of flavors, um, understanding of nuances, understanding strong and light, understanding how to use strong, how to use light so that neither of them overpower or get lost. And then colors, because when you're mixing different things, each one of them has a different color. And we need to understand how uh, that will finally reflect in the in the final drink so um, yeah it's it's, uh, it's it was it was a great learning experience
0: lovely so yeah uh, uh, really sounds very interesting uh, how you've gone through the entire journey i have a very weird question which i am very sure have been asked you like thousands of times in your life
1: no worries ask
0: but i still like to know uh, it's a highly male dominated trade did you have a hard time making your making space for yourself at bartending?
1: Actually, I didn't. And the reason for that is that when I started, there were hardly any guys also in India who were doing it. There were very, very few. You could probably count them on your fingertips and even then you might not count them all. So uh, there were hardly any men uh, around at that point. And therefore, for me, it wasn't difficult at all. the The difficult part only was the science, the products, and the learning. Because, you know, at that time, all we had were people and books. There was nothing else. And therefore, all our learning had to come from people and books. So that was difficult. But um, apart from that, no. The male-dominated world luckily did not present too many challenges to me at all. I was quite comfortable in the way, um, in the space that I was. I guess also because I was kind of two things at the same time. See, I was on my journey to becoming a manager of the restaurant. At the same time, I was also the bartender. So I was simultaneously two things. So it was almost like I'm an assistant manager who's also handling the bar and who's also doing the drinks. And therefore, it kind of fell into place quite easily because I was the same person who would be talking to the guests, getting them to understand the drinks, asking them all the questions, getting them comfortable with the idea of the drink, making the drink, and then still being around when they were trying it out so that I could actually see whether they were enjoying it or they had a question. I could then go and talk to them and say, hey, is there something you don't like about this drink? Can I change it for you?
0: Oh, so the communication channels really helped you as well, I guess.
1: Yes, absolutely. So they were already comfortable with me as a person who looked after them in the restaurant. And therefore, this was kind of like a natural progression. And women especially were super comfortable with me. Because they finally, you know, were able to converse with me without feeling off.
0: Oh, nice. Yes, I can understand. Yeah.
1: So that was really fantastic. Because all of them, you know, wanted to talk to me and give me their order. Because they knew that I wasn't judging them. In fact, I was being extra helpful. So for them, talking woman to woman became really cool.
0: Oh, and as long as the lady is happy, I'm sure the couple is happy. <laughs> and therefore, you had more happy guests <laughs> coming and yes, going out. Yes,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Right. absolutely. So I think it was advantageous for me. I feel that it was advantageous. And therefore, today when I find people who who ask questions or who think that being in this profession is negative, I feel more sorry for them than I feel for me because of their ignorance.
0: On a lighter note, uh, did it ever get funny at the bar, you know, when someone has had a lot to drink? Any any such incident that you probably fondly remember or not so fondly remember?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it gets, absolutely, absolutely, it gets very funny at the bar sometimes. So, you know, you have people who will come and tell you their life stories They'll sit at the bar, they'll have a drink, they'll have two drinks, and then on the third, they'll tell you everything about their life. (laughs) They'll tell you about their breakups, they'll tell you about their ridiculous bosses. There are times when some young people, if I'm at the bar, would ignore me, saying, okay, just because she's a woman doesn't mean we should, you know, give her any extra attention. But three drinks or two drinks down, they would be talking to me like I was their best friend in the world. I remember a time when the bar was really, really busy one night. Um, It was an absolutely packed bar. And, uh, you know, in the middle of all of that, we were all really busy in the bar. And there was this one guy who came and asked and said that, can I have a screwdriver? Now, this I'm talking about year 2000, where cocktails were still not completely evolved as such. And uh, a screwdriver was still thought of as a cocktail as opposed to a simple straight drink. And um, he kind of, you know, and I, and we said, yeah, yeah, cool, coming up. And he came, he came to the bar, he stood there, and after a bit, suddenly, I was reaching out for something on the bar counter, and he caught my hand. And I just stood there and looked at him, you know, with that look saying, What's with this holding of my hand? And he said... I won't let it go until you give me my drink. And I said, well, the longer you hold it, the longer you're going to have to wait for your drink because <laughs> I only have one hand left yeah. and I cannot make a drink with one. I need both my hands. And he quickly let it go. And I was annoyed with him, but I, with a smile, I took a glass, put ice, and we used to have a screwdriver handy in our drawer and I took out that screwdriver, put it in the ice and put the glass in front of him. And he was oh, shocked.
0: Crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he, he, he looked at me and said, he just looked at me like that, And I said, well, you asked for a screwdriver, right? Oh, God. Here it is. I said, now you hang on to that one while I make you a fresh one.
0: Oh, this is lovely. <laughs> I
1: think he learned his lesson. He, yeah. <laughs> he learned his lesson. I was still smiling while I did all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think he he kind of got the message. So he had that look which says, okay, I'm so sorry. I said, cool, it's all done. And then I gave him his drink and took the screwdriver back.
2: Wow. <laughs>
1: so yeah, we've had a few funny ones like that. Right. But yeah, it's it's usually fun. Sometimes, you know, they used to look at you. Then suddenly they'd slip you a, a phone number. And I would open <laughs> no, it very slowly, look at the phone number, smile at them. And then... Tear it in front of them and chuck it in the dustbin. (laughs) And then, you know, just put your hands up to say, sorry, what to do? Not happening. (laughs) So, yeah, but it was fun. But you know what? Very rarely did it happen that somebody was uh, doing it with bad intention. You know, it was all in good faith and it was all good fun. And I think they realized, you know, they, they kind of know from your body language where to draw the line. They can tell very, very easily that this is a person in command, in, in in command of herself. They can see that all the bartenders around me look at me with respect, talk to me with respect. And by default, it kind of rubs off on the people who are in front of the bar. And again, more importantly, we all work in places where people like you and me go, which means that they all come from the same backgrounds as well. And therefore, I'm hoping that, you know, if you and me don't do this to other people, they won't do it to us as well.
0: Right, right, right. No, I, I. But I still think that, you know, some of these incidents that you've recited uh, for us, though they are very interesting, I'm sure you you handled them very well at the, you know, at, at there and then because it was very, that was lovely thinking, on the, on the toes thinking, you know, <laughs> presenting a screwdriver itself <laughs> instead of the drink. I think that was nice.
1: But you know what, that's the only way to work in a bar. If you get annoyed and if you make a scene, that's the most stupid thing you can do. If you think it's getting out of hand, the smartest thing to do is actually to walk away from the bar for the next 10 to 15 minutes and let your team in front handle it or let the manager from outside or the security from outside uh, speak to the friends uh, and let them handle it. So that's how we tend to do it, you know, when we find that one guy is slightly over the top. The anger used to come when somebody was really angry, uh, drunk and wanted another drink and I would refuse to give it to them. Uh, That's when, you know, sometimes we would have people getting annoyed. Then we would literally talk to their colleagues and friends and tell them to take him away. Or we would pretend to give him a drink. But actually, we wouldn't.
0: (laughs) They were so drunk, they don't realize.
1: So somebody was drinking a whiskey soda. We would actually, under the counter, put a a half finger of Coke in the glass. Oh, God. (laughs) And then add soda. Then put ice. And then fill soda so that it looked like the color of the drink was whiskey soda. Then take the bottle of whiskey and put two drops on top. Nice. So he thinks we're putting whiskey on top and give it to them. That would avoid the uh, confrontation. (laughs) They could smell the whiskey on top, but really the drink was more soda than anything else
0: oh god this is so lovely this is such a nice secret from behind the bar
1: (laughs) (laughs) that they just wouldn't figure out that they were drinking only soda we would do that as shots as well
0: did you still charge the entire amount for them
1: no we don't charge we didn't charge the amount (laughs) we didn't really charge them either we would you know just charge them for the soda. So, you know, when you come with an understanding that is beyond just standing at the bar, then, you know, you can come up with lots of different things that you can do. So, it's all basically from perspective only of safety and nothing else. It's not with the perspective of cheating someone.
0: No, I think you were doing uh, good to them than anything else.
1: So, yeah, it was fun.
0: So, Shadiam, you were doing it at a time which was very different from, you know, the day and age right now. You were doing it... Uh in the 90s, 2000, early 2000, and uh, yes. even now bartending doesn't, you know, as a profession hasn't been looked at with a lot of respect. And I think uh, it must be more so in those days. How did you deal with that front? How did you deal with that aspect of it? And uh, do you see it changing drastically over the years now? Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So there's two ways to look at it. One is there was little respect because people didn't understand it, also because at that time, the kind of people who were working behind bars were those that had come up from the ranks. They were actually just simply waiters who had been put behind the bar. What happened as we grew is that the people behind the bar also changed. Uh, They came from a slightly better background. They came sometimes from a background of IHM like me. They came with a learning of bartending, which means that their knowledge was better. And because their knowledge was better, their confidence levels were better. They didn't feel badly about themselves. And because they didn't feel badly about themselves, uh, it showed. So basically, there was what we call the class divide. And you know that the class divide is something that was prevalent in India across the board. So it's like a person would not talk to his driver correctly because the driver was beneath him. Similarly, a guy with a lot of money who came to a bar would look down upon the bartender because he thought the bartender was beneath him or the waiter was beneath him. But over a period of time, that has changed. You know, that has changed. The class divide has narrowed. Education has gotten better and today people realize the guys behind the bar come with a knowledge that is different from theirs. We also taught that a lot while we were teaching bartending. We also taught them to learn to respect themselves and to have confidence in themselves. That even though the person who came to their bar may have a lot more money than you, it does not mean that he has knowledge. That you have on your subject. He has knowledge on his subject, which you respect. You have knowledge on uh, your subject that he will learn to respect if you present it right. And that's what they learned. They learned to get the confidence. They learned that it was very important for them to get knowledge and to understand why they were standing behind the bar. And the minute that happened, everything changed. Today, uh, people respect bartenders. Across the board, there is a lot of respect for bartenders. It's similar to what happened with chefs when I was in when when I began. Chefs were not looked at with respect either when I started, but today chefs have great respect and bartenders are there as well. Yeah. So all over the world, bartenders have a great lot of respect, and India is getting there. We are not very far behind. Uh, our boys are uh, now luckily getting a lot of respect as well. And uh, they're also showing what they're capable of. So um, it's a process. It will take time. But like everything, it will happen for sure. And the most of it is out of uh, lack of ignorance. People don't know. People don't understand what a great great skill and how much knowledge a great bartender actually has.
0: All right. Right. I I really love the fact how you've explained it because that makes complete sense i guess why it was how it was and why is it changing now and i think uh, that's a great amount of effort from your side as well to you know instill that confidence in themselves as a bartender uh, as to how do they respect themselves before anyone else right
1: yeah it was very very important to get them to understand that you know it was a simple thing you are there to serve people but you are not their servant that was the difference they needed to understand once they understood that difference and they built their confidence with knowledge it was all good in fact if you really look at it if you try and analyze a really really great bartender he's for me i call i call a really great bartender an absolute genius because he embodies so many skills in one person which otherwise would be divided over so many people he is A part scientist, he's a part artist, he is part doctor, uh, a psychologist because he's always listening to people, he's always analyzing people, he's patient, he's skillful, he understands so much. His knowledge has to be beyond just bartending, he needs to be aware of what's happening around current information, news the level of patience he has he has to have the his communication skills it, it's you know there's so many things in one person yeah so i think uh you know once they understand that and make good use of it it's fantastic i remember how when i sometimes used to talk to people who were really at another level whenever i did conferences or when i did workshops for say doctors or surgeons I remember the first time I did it for the Navy ship, which is um, the uh, hospital, the Navy hospital at Colaba. It's called INS Ashwini. Okay. So most of them were doctors and I was doing a mixology workshop for them. So they were doctors, but they were all Army and Navy doctors with their families. And, uh, you know, when I smiled at them and I looked there and I said, well, you probably just see me as someone standing behind the bar mixing a few drinks, but um, if I told you about what I thought of when I was mixing a drink, um, I was thinking about how I was going to use my ice in such a way, because I know that when I pour these liquids on ice, all of this alcohol is going to start warming up the ice, and when I shake it, there's going to be so much friction, and you know that friction causes heat, and I need to make sure that I avoid the heat because I don't want to give you a diluted drink. So I add more rice and I shake it. And while I'm shaking that drink, you must remember that I know that the molecules are breaking up into smaller atoms and they're all going to be dispersed in this wonderful suspension that I'm creating that has liquids of different densities coming together. And finally, when they all come together as this great suspension, and I put it into your glass at that really cold absolutely icy drink which is almost going to be cold to the point of brief anesthesia and you have a sip Um, maybe then you're going to look at me and say oh all right she's not just standing there mixing a drink and you should have seen the look on their faces. It I is like, so I said, wish then I had not I smiled at them and I said see how much I'm showing off I just want you to know that we understand the science just as much as you do <laughs>
0: oh, that's so beautiful how you put it wow. oh
1: my god it was it was so much fun but you know uh, that's what we, we try and do with people we understand who our audience is and try and connect with them in a way that they understand And every time you do that, you know, two things happen. One, they understand respect and then they connect with you because then they find the similarity between what they do and what we do. So it's so, um, it becomes really easy to connect with them. And then suddenly a dispassionate audience suddenly becomes an extremely interested and interactive audience.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm really sure. Lovely.
1: So, we've, we've done this with bankers as well.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you never thought that there was a similarity between the bar and a bank. Have you?
0: Oh, I still can't think of it.
1: If I were to tell you this, Shubham.
0: Please, yeah.
1: All right. I'm saying to you that I think that there is a similarity between a bar and a bank.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> and even if you were to look at it from the old days to the new days. Uh-huh. How a bank has evolved over time, the bar also has evolved the same way. Okay. Okay, let me give you a quick comparison.
0: Sure, please. Yeah.
1: So, when you went to the bank in the old days, right, the job of that bank was simple. You went there, you deposited cash, or you deposited a check, or you withdrew some money. Right. And that was the sum total of the bank's function. You only went there to either, or you went to use a locker. So, you deposited, you withdrew, and you used the locker, and that was the end of your process in a bank. Right. But today, the bank is completely different. Today, the bank is almost like a financial institution, which not only takes your money, deposits it, and gives it to you, it also has what we call relationship managers and financial advisors who actually also tell you how to invest your money. They look at you and they decide whether this is a short-term person or a long-term person.
0: I see where you're going, right?
1: All right. They they know that, do you want your eggs in one basket or do you want them in multiple baskets? Do you want short-term gain or are you happy, patient and you'll wait for a longer time? (laughs) Okay, these guys are doing all of that. Nice. A, A bar was exactly the same thing, right? You came into the bar, you sat there, you ordered a drink. You had your drink, you paid your bill and you went out. But today, it's not that anymore. Today, you walk up to the bar and you look at what's in the bar. You expect the bartender to be able to tell you why there are 5, 10, 20 whiskeys on the bar. What's the difference between one whiskey and another? The bartender also has to look at you and understand what is it that he's going to offer you, whether he should be offering you a simple whiskey or a rum and coke or a beer, or he should be looking at a cocktail. He also needs to understand where you're coming from, understand your mood, understand who you're with. And he can explain to you everything there is that you want to know. And and therefore, there you are. You have a connection between what we do and what you do. We also do the same thing.
0: <laughs> I never knew there was so much to bartending. Never. I could never think.
1: So, so see, I mean, there's... We think before we talk to you. We think before we offer you something to drink. Uh, We're happy to explain to you what is it, why there are 20 bottles and what is the difference between this bottle and that bottle so that you can then knowledgeably choose which whiskey you would want to try today and not just go there to the bar and say, give me one black label with soda and water. That's it. So today's bartender is far more savvy. He can offer you much more than he could earlier. And when you walk into that bar, he recognizes that you're not just someone that he needs to look at you and to respect you and to understand what you're looking for and then give you what you want. Because no one person is the same. Everyone wants different things. So bar is a bank.
0: That's that's really beautifully how you present it. And I really want to, you know, keep going on on this.
1: (laughs) But I'm sure you've run out of time because I know what happens when we have conversations like this.
0: Yes, we are slightly.
1: (laughs) You're not the first person, Shubham. Every time (laughs) when we have a conversation with anyone, uh, it always goes beyond their usual time. Always. Because I think, you know, we are looking at something that is so different and is so misunderstood by most people that they don't realize that, you know, um, there's so much we have to offer. In that whole journey.
0: No, there's a lot of depth. I think there's a lot of depth in the profession. I truly believe it now.
1: And still, and still I chose to write my second book on um, non-alcoholic drinks.
0: And that's where I wanted to go. <laughs> Thank you for leading me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I really wanted to ask you, how did this passion for non-alcoholic drinks develop? You know, you have in fact dedicated the book to teetotlers and children uh, in particular.
1: Um, So here we were, right in the middle of a pandemic. We were clueless about what was happening. Um, The first three months were so difficult. It was about trying to gather how our minds are working, how to understand this very unusual situation we found ourselves in, um, trying very hard to tell the younger people who were completely lost and were completely at sea. And this is because restaurants and bars had shut down And the young people had no clue what was happening with them. They didn't know whether they had a job. They didn't know when they would get their jobs back. Uh, It was something that was unprecedented. Therefore, none of them had savings to help them tide time over. And here we were trying to reinforce them with a little more conviction, uh, trying to get them to kind of not give up hope, trying to help them in different ways, showing them how to use the time to upgrade themselves. And in the midst of all that, I thought to myself that here I am giving all of them all this advice. Should I not be first also practicing what I'm preaching? And I went back to the drawing board and I said, "Okay, I need to do this for myself as well, because I've also been fretting for the last three months, wondering where we're going, what direction to take. And this is the perfect opportunity to do something that you've wanted to do, but you never had time for. And I thought, why am I wasting all this time? I've always wanted to do a book on, uh, you know, um, to write my second book because my first book was in year 2000. And then I got carried away by all the work that I did. And I had no time to think about another book. And I thought, this is the perfect time. Why should I not finish the books that I started writing? I had three books. All three were at 50%. And I've never got around to finishing them. And uh, I was kind of looking at all three and I said, well, which one should it be? And I said, okay, I think I'm going to go with the non-alcoholic because there are so many people now at home and there's a large audience of people who don't drink. And nobody has ever bothered to do things and to show them how they can also kind of enlarge their entire perspective on how to mix drinks at home. And so I chose to then complete my book on mocktails rather than go back to my book on cocktails. And um, as I began the journey, and when I first wrote out my entire draft, which I had done five years ago, I relooked the entire draft. And as I looked at it, the category just kept on growing because I was saying, why should I not tell them about this? And why should we not add this? And let's just make this a book that has almost everything that they may want to know. Why leave out anything? Why only do mocktails? Why not also do yogurt drinks? Uh, why not do shakes? Why not do dessert drinks? Why not uh, do coffees and teas? Why not do flavored milk? Why not do uh, things like um, uh, medicinal herb herbal drinks? Uh, things that, you know, we have all grown up on. Maybe people all over the world will kind of, you know, get some insight into it and we'll be happy to use it. And that's how it expanded into almost 15 categories. In fact, there were more, and then we merged a few uh, because my design team was going a little crazy, trying to find images for everything. Yeah. So that was really hard for them because I was pushing her to say, I need this, I need that. It has to be a book that is full of hope, full of light. We're in the middle of a pandemic, Everybody is depressed. The book should make them smile, make them happy. So three of us, me and my team, uh, got together. Uh, One person, one of my team had been taking an interest in photography. So I said, here's your chance. Uh, We'll do all the stuff for you. I will frame it for you. And we'll create, we'll make the drinks ourselves because that's what we're good at. So between the three of us, we made the drinks, we framed it. Uh, We did the photography in-house at home, some in sunlight, some in rain, some under lights. (laughs) It was a crazy experience, Um, but we did. We managed to finish it in about four and a half, five months, and I didn't have the strength to look for a publisher, so I said I'll publish it in-house, so I'll learn how to do that as well. Finally, we started working on it seriously in June and
0: november end we had the book ready i think uh, everything that you thought with the book has come out exactly how you planned or even more because you know it is a very lively very hopeful very colorful very cheerful book and i'm not exaggerating one bit and i must tell you that you you should i'm so glad you should really tell the photographer uh, you know they did a really good job because none of the photos look like as if they're not professional i i never thought they those 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 were you know at home
1: I'm so glad because, you know, we really worked hard. And I just hope that, you know, um, people look at it and are happy with it. And the important thing is to be able to spread the word that there is a book like this on Amazon and you guys will really benefit from it because it's fantastic, it's easy, and it kind of goes through every category. You know, I've not kind of left it out. I've, I've gone as basic as I could. And I've also given the opportunity for people who wanted to experiment with some exotic flavors. But at the same time, I've tried to give as many options as possible from what was available around you. Anything where I thought that this product is never going to be available to us. I have not used those drinks at all. I just took them off and I said, no, there's no point in this. If they cannot get fresh blackberries, and if it's too expensive to buy them, what's the point of putting them? Let's just not use them at all. So, you know, and I tried going regional as well. We have one section dedicated only to Indian flavors. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was very enjoyable for us as well. You know, making each one of those things. I showed them how to make Ampanna concentrate, how to make kokam sharbat, how to make a ginger lime sharbat um we also experimented with all of that so that you know the the drink and the pictures must look as original as possible yes so that when someone makes a drink they should also look at their drink and said ha it looks like the photograph
2: so it otherwise
1: kitni bar aisa hota hai jab karte we hum kitab mein drink or when we photographs very good we completely different so you can see that even at, for 2000 for that time even this book was completely revolutionary um, it was like a eye opener for people even at that time in 2000 nobody could believe that i actually did a book like this and, and i know people who are still using that book even today and I keep telling them that, no, no, you have to wait now because this one is 20 years old. And they said, no, but we can still make great drinks from your book. So
0: it's okay. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Shadmi ma'am. Uh, no, no, This not was at all. So, so fun, so much fun. Uh, I really want to go on like I told you, but I, I want to step to the concluding section of the podcast. And this is a section which is common across all our episodes. Okay. Uh, And uh, this is one common question which I ask all my guests as well. So I want to ask you one secret about the book while you've actually told a lot already. (laughs) But still, is there any one secret about the book or, you know, while you were writing the book that you've probably not shared uh, much out in the open? So what would that be?
1: I had no clue how I was going to publish it and how it would ever reach people. Okay. I was writing it, I was doing everything, but I was clueless about the end, on how I would get it out, because I had no idea how to manage that end, at all. Luckily for me, bookshops were closed. It took Mm -hmm. me two months to get onto Amazon, by the way. They make it out to be so easy, right? It's not.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's not,
1: (laughs) it's not. It took me two months to finally be able to, with a lot of help from people, but I finally managed to get it on Amazon, and that is when I finally figured, ke acha,
0: <laughs> book
1: to <laughs> I how will I get it out to That's people. That's only
0: one part of it. <laughs> yeah, because
1: every you know I connected with so many bookshops, and all of the, them said only one thing: you have to find a distributor. Without a distributor, we cannot take the book. I said, why can't you take it from me directly? And he said, no, we cannot take it from you directly because that's the process that we have. So unless you find a distributor, so I said, why don't you help me out? So one of them actually did. They did help me out and said, okay, here's a distributor, talk to him. And I haven't still gotten around to doing it, but um, I'm hopeful that I will be able to and get it out to them. So that is the only thing that most people start with the whole premise that they know where their book is going. Because they have publishers who know exactly what to do. My focus was so much on writing the book, completing the book, designing the book and printing the book. That I completely forgot that after doing all that, it still has to reach people. Otherwise, what's the point of it? Right,
0: right, right. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing uh, such uh, intricate details of writing a book, how you got through it. And uh, such a wonderful journey as a bartender itself. Uh, I hope you uh, you enjoyed the discussion because we truly loved it and I'm sure everyone who will listen to the episode would also enjoy a lot about it because I don't think we ever get a chance to hear about a profession such as bartending and that too in such detail, and such uh, romance that you explain it to us. It is, it is.
1: It's very romantic. I could go on and on about how it <laughs> sure. is but uh, yeah. <laughs> It's really, it's really fantastic. It's a great, very thought-provoking science and art when you come to it. Because remember that everything that I do reflects on someone completely different. So I may like something, but the point is not about me at all. Because everything that I do is about you and it's not about me.
0: Yeah, very right. Hmm.
1: And that's the true story of bartending, that if you do not... Respect the person who comes to your bar. And if you don't think of him, then whatever you create can have no value. That's why when someone says, what's a, what's your definition of a perfect drink? I tell them that perfection is highly overrated. There is no such thing as a perfect drink because there are no perfect people. I can make it kind of perfect, but it's only perfect when someone like you who sips my drink looks at me and says, wow, this is perfect then it is perfect until then it's just a drink
0: lovely great i think uh, we really understand uh, it better now and thank you so much for taking out time to do this with us Not i hope you all. enjoyed the discussion as well thank you so much Advi thank
1: you so much for having me
0: it's it's a pleasure to have you and to all the listeners this is shubham signing off until the next secret and the next storyteller Bye bye